Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. All right, good afternoon, I guess, on this uh, Sunday. I'm glad to be back. I did grow up decades ago, right, in this church, and uh, this church was formative in my faith. So it's an honor to stand in this space and come back and speak Uh, as it always is. Sometimes along the way, I get to come back and speak. And we're doing a series, The Games People Play. And there's one game that perhaps many of you are playing, certainly have played, and if not, you've heard about it. It's a game that's sort of taking over the world right now. It's a global phenomenon. In its first week alone, just been out really a few months going strong, but in its first week alone, 13 countries, it was the top-selling app, Raked in first week, 1.5 million. I don't know how many millions it's raked in since then, but, uh, but it's taken the game industry by storm. It's creating all the buzz. And so what's the game? Fortnite. Fortnite. Duh, right? This is easy by now. Yes, my nine-year-old plays it. He throws his headphones on, right? Speaking into the speaker to his friends. They're on a team. They build forts and shelters and protect themselves, you know, from the enemy. There's one part of the game that's kind of fun. They have these dances, which are kind of cool. And my nine-year-old is constantly imitating these dances. So I'm going to give you a taste of a few of the dances for those who don't know. You know that one. Take some uh, more skills than I have and more rhythm. most frequented one by my son, right? He's like, this dad, you don't do it right. You don't do it right. You have no rhythm. I'm like, yeah, you didn't get your rhythm from me. That's good. Um, but there, but there we have it, Fortnite. Um, there's, there's a lot to say about this game, but, but Fortnite is, is what they would call or consider a, a sandbox game. Basically meaning it's this first person, non-linear path, this sort of unfolding story. You're in this world, so to speak, and you're trying to navigate, you're exploring, you're, you're gathering resources and materials, you're building forts and shelters, right? That's your objective, to build forts and shelters, gather resources and materials that basically help you survive the zombie apocalypse ultimately, right? Just like real life, I know. But, um, but, but, but one thing that is true about real life is is we're in this non-linear story, our, our life that's unfolding. We're, we're exploring and navigating. There's complexity. There's choices to be made, choices we have to make along the way to get us where we want to get, to win, so to speak, as a game would go. And no, our life isn't a game, but it's filled with important choices. Every day, we are, we are, um, we are, at, you know, we are deciding on things, and to live a life, right? To live life well, ultimately we have to learn how to choose wisely. The scriptures talk lots about this idea of wisdom and contrast it with foolishness. Throughout the book of Proverbs is one place where we discover these truths and principles that help us make life work. 
And God provides this foundation of living, right, for all of us to engage in. We're, we're invited in to learn. And, you know, sometimes as we navigate through life, we have to fight, or we have to gather things, or we have to team up with people. Sometimes we get to dance a little bit in life, life and enjoy the, the season of blessing that we're in. And other times, right, there's things we can't control and suffering and pain come. Things don't go our way. And, and this is life. And so today, what I want to propose to us is, is this idea of how do we live in a way where we make better and wiser choices so that we build our lives in the way that God designed us to build our lives. Now, to contrast wisdom, the Bible uses the term fool or foolishness. So I have a question for you as a starting place. I mean, would anyone in the room describe themselves as a fool? That's a rhetorical question. No one needs to answer, but you probably wouldn't anyway. So no, almost nobody would categorize themselves as a fool. However, when you read the scriptures, the Bible actually cautions all of us about foolish decision-making or being a fool in some sense or another. It tells us that we're more susceptible than we tend to think. So let's sort of do a quick assessment in the room. You can just sort of have an internal checklist as I give you five descriptions, just examples really of foolishness according to the Bible. The first one is this. A person is a fool who denies the existence of God. I've been guilty of that. A person is a fool who trusts in his own heart. I've done that too, guilty. A person is a fool who despises wisdom and instruction. A person is a fool who is quick-tempered. I am guilty many times, too many times to tell. And fifthly, a person is a fool who scoffs at sin. Okay, now I want to dive a little bit deeper into those and the way we'll do it is I'll give you five questions to ask yourself to sort of reflect on this. Okay, the first one is this. Have you ever denied the existence of God? There's a verse in Psalm 14 about that. And, and I don't mean by that just limited to sort of throwing your fist up at God or saying, God, I don't believe it, you, in you or, or some kind of staunch atheist. I mean, perhaps. But I think there's a more subtle kind of isolating God from our daily lives pushing him out, muting the voice of God, right? Denying his existence just by the very way we live, ignoring that voice that's trying to get your attention. And if you sense his voice and you know his word and you know what's right and true and good and you don't make that choice, in essence, you're living as if God doesn't exist. There's this book that's out there. I love the title. It's called The Christian Atheist, A Paradox of Terms. But the main concept of the book is this, that there are many people who believe in God but live as if he doesn't exist. And I think that's probably been true in some of our own lives if we're really honest about it. But in essence, it's a disguised way that we ignore God's existence and deny his presence, even his power in every moment of our lives. And the scriptures call this foolish. Question number two, have you ever trusted in your own heart? It's sort of rhetorical because I think all of us probably have done that at one time or another. This is probably the easiest doorway to walk through because there's, there's hundreds probably of times where we're tempted to do this in every day. And, and, and you probably have heard this, perhaps you've said it, but I've heard people say, um, just follow your heart or some version of that. I, I know one person who, 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 who refers to her heart as a she to validate its voice. And I know people who follow God and they, they, they end up making destructive, really horrible 
choices and they'll say something like, if my heart says it's right, how could it be wrong? And I know this truth all too well myself because I have subtly surrendered to the desires of my own fallen heart rather than surrendering to God, to God himself. I've done that too many times. But just to follow your heart, that idea, it's a dangerous thing. And the scriptures underscore this. It's foolish. The prophet Jeremiah underscores this truth by saying this. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is, right? The the heart can deceive you. In other words, be careful about just following your heart or listening to your heart. Now, of course, there's wonderful and beautiful things about your heart, but for every ounce of goodness, there lies an ounce of darkness right beside it. When we don't acknowledge the reality of our heart, the susceptibility or vulnerability that it can deceive us, when we trust our own heart instead of God himself, the scriptures declare it foolish. Question number three is this. Have you ever despised wisdom and instruction? I think there's something inside of us, maybe you can relate to this, there's a resistance sometimes when people uh, come to give us advice or counsel or input or feedback. I mean, there's something in this that we kind of resist any kind of criticism. It pushes up against our ego. We fear it a little bit. Maybe even there's people in your life that they've been hesitant to say anything to you because, man, maybe you like push them out or keep them at a distance or perhaps it's even ruined relationships. Maybe there's people that offer their advice so freely and their kind of advice to them is, you know, you need to hold back a little bit. But, but the Bible tells us this, that we, if we're followers of Jesus, ought to live with a humility and a teachability, an openness of spirit. We must seek even proactively the wise counsel of others, as Proverbs puts it. But a lot of us are terrified. We, we already feel maybe inadequate or incompetent or like we don't measure up. And so for someone to speak some kind of criticism, how we take it in our lives is like, no thanks, my ego's too fragile. So we end up not listening to wise counsel, to people around us that want to help us, want to guide us. Now, this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean we listen to anybody and everybody and we just sort of do what they say. There's a wise way of doing this, but the point is this, that we ought to be open to the input of others. And when we're not, the Bible calls it foolish. Question number four is this, have you ever been quick-tempered? Answer, yes, right? Some of you are aware of this because you express it more freely. Others of you have more of an internal way of going about it. But either way, eventually what will happen, you'll either explode in the quick temper or you'll implode because you hold it in, hold it in, hold it in. And people around you, if you're more the quiet type, they feel it. They feel the silent brewing of anger, frustration, right? hostility, resentment even. And they don't want to get near it often. And it severs relationships and it distances us from God when we don't deal with this head on. The Bible says if we let this have its own way, the quick-temperedness about us. It is foolish. Question number five is this. Have you ever scoffed at sin or been dismissive with sin? In other words, have you ever diminished the power and the darkness of sin? I know we don't like to talk about sin. It's not the most fun word, but when we take it flippantly, right, and just sort of think, hey, it's not going to affect me or it's not going to affect people around me, we really are distancing ourselves from God and from the people around us. 
Scoffing at sin is foolish because it allows darkness to inhabit our hearts more easily than God's light that wants to bring the truth out. And it affects every single choice we make. It's pervasive. This kind of foolishness has indescribably destructive consequences, ultimately, in our relationship with God again and our relationship with others. So when we brush off sin like it's no big deal, we ultimately are diminishing God's grace, his holiness, his power, his mercy, his forgiveness, and our lives go further and further away from the living God who's designed us to be close to him who wants us to find freedom and fulfillment. But when we scoff at sin, it leads us astray. I mean, these are just five short examples of what it means to make foolish decisions or be a fool. Perhaps we're guilty of one, two, or all of these at one time or another. And, and if nothing else, what, you derive, what we can derive from this is this, that we're all susceptible to foolishness, that we're all vulnerable And one of the greatest challenges on the quest to become a wise person and to live our lives well is the acknowledgement and really the seeing of our own foolishness. Because it's hard to see that about ourselves. We much more easily see it in other people. We see them making foolish decisions. We see what they're doing with bad behavior or some bad habit or whatever decisions they're making. But it's not clear to us. It's right in front of us. We see it in others, but we don't see it in ourselves. I was at this... uh, this barbecue at a park uh, several years ago. My one son was three years old. And, you know, it's a bunch of families. And there's people there we know and people there we don't know. And a bunch of kids running around. We're watching all our young kids. And, and at one point, a parent uh, says out loud, says, whose son is peeing over there? <laughs> and, of course, I look and it's my son. And I just go denial on it, right? Like, that's appalling. Whose son's appealing was sort of the spirit of it, right? Yeah, I don't know who that son is, you know? Somebody take care of it, you know, sort of thing. And, of course, I, like, did a twist, you know, and, like, got around and said, okay, Hudson, come here. (laughs) We got to talk. You can't do that, right? Peeing in the middle of the park, yeah, that doesn't work. So we had a little talk, you know. And he said, I remember, never forget, he he said, he said, yeah, but, Dad, I had to use the bathroom. Where else should I have gone? <laughs> I said, yeah, in the bathroom actually would have been the right place, you know. It was so clear to everybody that he should go to the bathroom and not do that. But for him, it was like, this is obvious, Dad. This is where I should go, you know. I don't know what it says about my parenting, but you make your own judgments here. Um, but, but, but that's how life is sometimes, right? What's, what, what's eluding us is so clear to everyone else. And to become wise, ultimately, we we need to learn to look at ourselves and see reality. We need to be humble and be honest about where our life is. We need to step back and ask ourselves, what is the wise thing to do? And when we're doing something foolish, we have to stop ourselves. Help, you know, and even invite other people into that journey to help us see that more clearly. But, But here's the thing. We have to come to a place, if we want to become wise, that we admit our susceptibility to foolishness. And not only that, but that we need wisdom. Sometimes we desperately need wisdom. Because think about life, all the complexities to life. I mean, there's all kinds of decisions, small and big, medium in the middle, right? But, I mean, what career to pursue or what relationship to pursue or, you know, how do I talk to this person about this sensitive situation or, or how, when do I speak up or when do I, you know, be silent or, or how do I handle this difficult person in my life or, you know, my son or daughter's in this, you know, precarious situation. How should I navigate it? How should I respond? How, how do I know who to trust with my heart? 
right? Who do I date? Who do I marry? How do I share the truth without alienating and wounding someone? How do I tell my boss he's absolutely horrible? Yeah, don't do that. That's foolish, right? But there's all these decisions we have to make. And we need wisdom. And on and on these questions and challenges go. And, and they're choices that we have to make in life. And then the sum of our life becomes our choices that we've made up to that point in our life. These aren't easy answers. It's not always so simple. But who we become is ultimately revealed in how we choose. In other words, the choices we make end up making us. And God calls every follower of Jesus to a life that cannot be lived without the wisdom of God. So if you want to live a life of wisdom, I want to share today four characteristics of a wise person that I believe can guide your life, can shape your life, can change your life, will change the entire trajectory of who you become and where your life goes. The first characteristic of a wise person is this. They cultivate a healthy fear of God. Proverbs 9.10 says it well. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He is the foundation, and He is the source of all wisdom. We must acknowledge that. That's where wisdom begins. And to live wisely, we need to put God first. We need to put God at the center. We need to, as Hebrews says, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, this little phrase, the fear of God, isn't maybe what you think. It's not like we're scared of God and we have to go running away. It's more like what we see in, in Isaiah chapter 6, where, where Isaiah has this, what I call Isaiah moment, where he catches this glimpse of God and it brings him to his knees. It, it breaks him. He finally gets it, right? He sees God. He's struck with awe and humility and repentance. And, and here's how it goes. He says, woe to me, I am ruined, I've seen God high and lifted up, exalted above all. I've seen the greatness of God. For I am a man of unclean lips. I'm unworthy to be in his presence. And I live among a people, the same, of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And the context of that passage is beautiful. And basically it describes him encountering God in a way that overwhelms and overtakes him. He feels ruined and healed simultaneously. He, he, he gains that sense of bigness of God. And th- this is more what Solomon is referring to in Proverbs when he says the fear of the Lord. There's this reverence for God. There's this response of worship to this high and mighty and majestic and great being. Hard to put words to it. And, and Isaiah has this moment. And it reminds us of the truth that, that we in the journey of wisdom, we need to come to terms with who God is. We need to get a taste of who he is. We need to humbly come to him in our imperfections, in our brokenness. And it's the God who is perfect, who is holy, who is righteous and says, come to me in your unrighteousness. Come to me in your sin and your imperfection and your brokenness. I want to make you whole. I want to transform you. I want to show you my goodness, reveal who I am. And what that will do inside of us is cause us to worship. I mean, part of why we don't fear God as the Proverbs say, is because we don't know God. Truth of the matter is this, for a follower of Jesus, I mean, how often do we really open up the scriptures and carve out time and space to pray and talk to God and listen to God and build and cultivate a, a walk with God that's daily and personal and intimate 
where you're connected to God. And as you do that, right, Paul writes in Philippians, he says, my greatest aim is the, the pursuit of knowing God. Is that your greatest aim, that you would know God? Because when you get to know God, the response of your life is worship. The response of your life is alignment with who he wants you to be, who he created you to be, and the dreams that he designed for you to live into. And here's the thing. Whatever we fear, we're limited by those fears. But when you fear God, you're subject to him more than anything else. You're not afraid to love or forgive You're not afraid to do good even when you won't be validated or recognized for it. You aren't afraid to hear the truth or speak the truth. You're not afraid to take risks or dream big or, or even fail doing the right thing. When we fear God, we become devoted to the truth no matter where it leads us. We fear nothing else, not personal rejection, not failure, and ultimately not even death because we see God for who he is. And ultimately, fearing God is about this very thing. It's involved, it's, it's, it involves facing the truth. The truth of who God really is and who we really are. And that takes humility and it takes honesty and it takes a pursuit of saying, God, I want to know you. The first characteristic is for us to cultivate a healthy fear of God. The second one is this. It's that we would consistently ask God for wisdom. James 1 verse 5 says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, which is like all of us at some level. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. If you lack it, ask God. He's going to give it generously to some, no, to all without finding fault. So, once we see clearly that God is the ultimate you know, being and, and that, that, that he brings internal clarity, he's saying to us, we must do one simple thing, continually ask God for wisdom. And what's revealing here is God's not trying to hide it from us. It's not like around some secret corner and we have to sort of mysteriously go see if we can find it. It's also not some explicit or, you know, um, it's not some you know, explicit or, or exclusive spiritual gift. Right? It's, not, it's not elusive. He's saying, no, I want to give it to you. Here it is. It's not something that God makes a mystery on where to find it. It's freely given to those who ask. And he says, ask consistently. I'll give generously. I have a lifelong mentor who you might know, a guy named Marty. Quite adm- admiration for him. Lots of admiration for him. And I, I remember I had many, many moments because decades ago, I, I, my faith was formed in this church. And I, and I, and I sensed this calling to be in you know, vocational ministry. And Marty mentored me and invested in me. And I remember at one point, there's many moments I remember, remember at one point I asked him the question, what, what's the most important lesson that you've learned as far as ministry goes and serving other people? And I never forget what he said. It's quite simple but very profound. He said, never stop asking God for wisdom. And believing that he will give it. Never stop asking God for wisdom and believing that he will give it. And I've, I've bottled that up and carried that with me in life. And all the different, you know, ebbs and flows in life. And all the different scenarios and seasons of life. And I said, yeah, that, that's so true. And so often I've been guilty of not asking God for wisdom. And God is saying to us over and over, ask and I will freely give. I'll bring clarity in the midst of the fog. No, he doesn't just like zap us with the answer as soon as we ask. I think part of why there's this like blending of, of the human and the divine and he wants us to stay dependent on him. He wants us to walk in step with him every day. Sometimes he maybe he withholds telling us everything, 
right? We get one scene of life at a time. He sees the bigger picture. And in his wisdom, he doesn't give us exactly what we want, but we keep seeking it. We keep asking for it. And again, our, our core problem sometimes is we don't, we, we, we think we're all good. And so we don't think we need wisdom. And so we hit that desperate place in life. But he's saying along the way in life, consistently ask for wisdom and I will give it to you and I will show up in time and fashion. I mean, what, what if you made this a daily ritual that you would ask God for wisdom? What if you wrote it in the top of your journal or prayed it every morning or every evening as you went to bed, wrote it on a note card next to your bed or put it in the bathroom? God, give me wisdom. Whatever decisions you're facing that day. I call this the forgotten prayer because it's so true that so many followers of Jesus that I know don't ever really pray this prayer unless they're in desperate situations. And I think God is saying to us through the scriptures, through James, no, continually ask for wisdom and build your life on wise choices. All right, the third characteristic of a wise person is this. A wise person actively looks for wisdom. So they ask God for wisdom, but then they actively look for wisdom. Proverbs 8, does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the past me, she takes her stand. There's another place in Proverbs that says wisdom shouts from the rooftops. And in essence, what Proverbs is telling us, right, it's personifying wisdom, raising her voice. It's saying, listen up. Open your ears, open your eyes, like pay attention because wisdom is to be found all around you. You don't have to go through something firsthand to actually gain wisdom. You can learn from the mistakes of others. You can learn from the circumstances someone's even currently going through and say, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be that. Or you can learn from your own mistakes. But but Proverbs is telling us wisdom is calling out. Understanding is raising her voice. Listen, tune in. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this, but you ever had someone you really care about, someone you love, they're making decisions in their life, that they they're have behaviors or habits or decisions they're making that are just leading them toward kind of, you know, a destructive place, and you're just watching it. And maybe you try to give input and advice and steer them a different direction. I don't know. Maybe other people do too, but they're just not listening. They're just sort of like putting their hands in their ears and saying, la, 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 right? Not listening. Well, I, I, I've, I've experienced that too. And I never forget when my wife, Sharon, and I, we, we, took a, we took a vacation to Italy. And one of the places we went to was Rome, which we were very excited about seeing Rome. And the place we wanted to see was the Colosseum in Rome. And so we, we went to the Colosseum, and, and it was like stepping back into history. You went up, you know, I think hundreds of stairs, right? It was pouring down rain that day. We got to the, the top of the Colosseum, right? It was like you were stepping into that era back in time. And we get to the top of the Colosseum and people are kind of telling us different things about it and the history about it and everything. And we look out and it was so interesting to see this part, you know, at, at the bottom. And we asked what that was and, and they said, it's like a human maze. And they said, oh, what happens there? He said, well, you know, back then basically the stadium would be full of people, the, the fortunate ones and really the elite ones would come into the stadium and they would put the prisoners human beings in the maze, and then they would release a lion to prey on them. And it would be entertainment for the rest. And that was such a stark image that really made an impression on my heart. And, and, I, and I thought about that. I was like, that, that's sometimes how life is. When we're watching someone that we love and care about make destructive choices, right? They're going through the maze of life, 
It's almost as like Satan, the adversary, is chasing them down as his prey. But, but it's really their own foolishness and pride that's fueling all that. And sometimes you just want to go, man, if you would just turn this way, I'll help you get out of the maze. Because when you look over top, right, you can see and you can tell them how to get out. But when you're in it and you're that person, it's a lot harder to see. But God is saying to us, whether you're in that kind of maze right now, or whether you've been there before or will be again, God is saying, I want to guide you out of it. In fact, one step further, I want to prevent you from getting in it. And if you would listen to me and follow me, and if you would let me guide your life, I'll help you stay out of the maze that might lead to your destruction. There's a God who loves us, a God who is good and merciful, God who is gracious and kind and wants to guide us and reaches out his hand to us and says, come follow me. I want you to live the life that I designed you to live. I want you to make wise choices along the way. Don't try to do it on your own. And so much of gaining wisdom has to do with unplugging our ears and opening our eyes and, 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 and orienting our hearts toward God and his ways, believing that his ways are the best ways, that his ways are better than our ways, as Isaiah writes. It's learning from what we observe around us. It's, it's not only praying, God, give me wisdom, but it's looking around. Where's the wisdom for the taking? Because God wants to give it generously. He says, seek wisdom, pursue it. This is the quest. I'm not trying to hide it from you, but seek after me and I will give you wisdom. Then there's this fourth characteristic of a wise person, and it's this. It's they connect present choices with future consequences. Galatians talks about sowing and reaping. They connect the present with the future. They connect the dots. And and, and wisdom recognizes there's an inseparable relationship between cause and effect. And that's a spiritual reality. Sometimes we want to ignore that, but it is true about life. A wise person connects the dots of their everyday decisions with the quality of their life or the direction of their life. It's foolish. If, if we just see our circumstances as isolated actions, and if we do that, we abdicate our own personal responsibility. And sometimes I've seen people try to hold God accountable for the choices that they've made that led them to where they are. And even be embittered at God. And I'm going, no, actually, your choice has led you to this place. Don't blame God. Blame yourself. And the Bible calls that foolish when we don't take responsibility. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody take a tennis ball and throw it against a wall and actually get hit by the ball. It's kind of funny, actually, especially if it hits him in the face. But I shouldn't say that. Sorry. But, you know, I've seen it. And it's like, well, why didn't you realize when you throw that ball against the wall, it's going to come back, right? And and it's sort of like how people live life sometimes. It's like our culture and people around us and maybe us. It's like we're throwing tennis balls against the walls. We're making choices and we're not thinking about the effects. We're not thinking about the consequences. But this is wisdom. Wisdom wisdom looks at the consequences and says the choices I'm going to make right now are going to affect tomorrow and weeks and months and days ahead. I mean, if you're a father or a mother, your choices have a ripple effect on your kids. If you're a spouse, right, your choices have a ripple effect on your spouse. And you get stream of thought keeps going with your friends and with the people closest to you are most affected by your choices, for better or for worse. And your choices, collectively, the sum of your choices, right, determine who you ultimately become. And again, 
If we want to live a life of freedom, we ought not to feel or think we have to experience something to gain wisdom from something. We ought to gather wisdom from many places, from many people, from mistakes that are made along the way. I remember as a young boy, my, I had an older brother who was about a year and a half older. I remember um, being in our house. We were in the bathroom, and I think we were four or five years old, best I can remember. And my older brother took a metal key. He got on the bathroom counter and he decided he wanted to experiment with putting that key in the outlet. You know, I still remember that scene vividly. And I remember thinking, even as a four or five-year-old, yeah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Which wasn't a hard conclusion to make in the moment. But, but this is life sometimes. We see people go through something. We see people deciding this or that, you know, or making that decision or, you know, whatever. Staying in this kind of relationship, you know. And it's like, man... We have to conclude that we ought not do that, right? This is the pursuit of wisdom. This is the quest for wisdom. When we seek, when we decide we're going to seek wisdom, right? Again, it starts by saying, all right, I'm going to align my life with God and who he is first. I'm going to humbly come to him and try to see him for who he is. I'm going to be honest about where I am and about reality. Wisdom is always revealed in the way we choose to live. And God wants us, he wants to help us choose to live well. Wisdom is also rooted in the posture of our hearts. Are we coming to God in humility and in worship and putting him at the center of our lives? Because this all wise and good and loving God wants to pour out his wisdom. He wants us to ask for it and seek it. He wants us to look all around for it. He wants us to be postured to receive it. He wants us ultimately to act on the wisdom that he's pouring out into our lives. And I don't know about you, but to, to, to live a wise life, I know one thing to be true, that I've got to listen to the voice of God's Spirit. Because if you're a follower of Christ, He indwells you, and it says He wants to guide you through all the complicated terrain, through all the uncertainty, through all the you know, complex and difficult choices that you have to make in your life. God is saying, I'm going to be with you. And if we would be postured to listen to him and be guided by him, if we would take that humble approach and we listen and take action and we lean on God, we look for clarity and discernment, we, we gain courage to make those choices. We gain the ability to walk in his commands. We, we keep praying and keep acquiring wisdom. And we choose well over and over. We build a life of wisdom. We begin to become the right kind of person. We begin to be everything that God made us to be, even despite all our imperfections. We will become wise. That's the quest. And the question for us then becomes, is that who you want to become? Is that the life that you really desire in your deepest core to want to live? Because the invitation for all of us stands. It's the invitation Jesus gave to his very first disciples when he said simply this, come follow me. He says, come follow me. And he says that not just at the beginning of your walk with God, but he says it over and over. Will you walk with me? Will you follow me? Will you trust me? Will you allow your life to be guided by me and my truths and my teachings? Will you enter into the quest for wisdom ultimately? Because right, he talks in the Gospels about building your house or a fort, if you will. Not on the shifting sand where the rains come and it you know, goes away, but on solid rock. To build your life on the truth of God's word is the solid rock. To build your life on your walk with Jesus, your relationship with Jesus, it, it is to live a life of wisdom. The wisest choice 
and the most important domino you'll ever trip, the wisest choice you'll ever make is to follow Jesus. I realize many of you have made that decision. Perhaps some in the room have not. And if you haven't, you can make that decision anytime. You can make it today. You can make it, you know, when you're ready. But Jesus is saying, will you follow me? And when we say yes, we, not just, we don't just say yes once or twice, but we say yes to a lifetime of following Jesus. And that yes and that next yes and that next yes, right, it leads to a life of wisdom. Because we're saying by that that we're not going to try to trust in our own heart. We're not going to deny your existence. We're not going to scoff at sin. We're not going to, you know, despise wisdom and instruction. We're going to live into wisdom. We're going to follow you. We're going to be guided by you. We're going to fear you. We're going to worship you. We're going to revere you, God. We're going to get input from others. We're going to pray for wisdom, gather wisdom, and live a life full of wisdom. And when we get to the end, if and when we live that kind of life, we'll have exuberant joy exuberant fulfillment, and we'll have lived the very life that God designed us to live, where he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Will you pray with me? Father, we pause for just a moment today, and God, for any in the room who have never made a decision to follow Jesus, perhaps that's their next step right now. God, I ask you that you would give them courage to say yes, perhaps for the very first time. God, for all of us in the room, I pray as, as you tell us to pray. I ask for wisdom, for, for myself, for everyone who's listening. And I ask that you would generously pour it out upon our lives. For, for any in the room who have a critical decision, they're, they're, they're at an intersection right now in their life, I pray that you would pour out wisdom, that you would bring the right person or the right thought or idea or, or that someone would you know, share something with them that would bring clarity or insight, give them discernment and help them to choose well. Life is sometimes difficult and complicated and uncertain. So God, may we learn to be guided by you. May we learn to build a life on your truth, on your wisdom, on your word, and be led by your spirit. May we all be that kind of people. And I pray that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.